Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of College Hockey Talk. On today's podcast, I'm joined by a very special guest, Alexa from Title IX Hockey, joins me today. Uh, you can find their work on Twitter and Instagram as well. Uh, I'll send, I'll post those links on our Twitter account um, once this episode is published. But Alexa, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, and how's everything going? Yeah, definitely. Thanks uh, for having me. It's going pretty good. Uh little less hectic now with one tournament instead of all the conference <laughs> tournaments. So it's a bit of a break now. Exactly, exactly. And how excited are you for this year's tournament and what's your just overall thoughts going into it? Uh, I mean, I, you know, I'm always excited. I think this year is going to be even more interesting because we got two first time teams in Penn State and Long Island. Um, so I, you know, I always like seeing new teams in the mix, new teams winning championships and being able to put banners in the Raptors. So uh, I think that'll be fun. And I think Penn State's going to be one to watch, too. Um, I think they got a real chance of winning their first-round series. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. I think this what makes this tournament interesting is I think there's two or three teams that have a chance to win their first national championship, especially when you look at Colgate, Yale, and Northeastern. So that's sort of what I'm interested to see is how those three new teams that could they get their first championship or will Ohio State or Minnesota sort of uh, reclaim their titles once again this year? So that's sort of the biggest storyline that I'm look, looking at regarding this tournament. Yeah, um, I think one of the interesting things this year is we've seen those top teams lose or, or draw a few more games or even just have a couple of close wins uh, more often than usual. And even though Ohio State and Minnesota have been at the top pretty much the whole year, I think those top seeds are more vulnerable this year than than usually. So, uh, you know, they, they they get all the focus. You know, they, they've both been there before. They've both won before. I think people are sleeping on Colgate and Northeastern a little bit in particular. Um, you know, Northeastern just they, you know, they tried to give themselves a tough schedule. They played Cornell and uh, Princeton out of conference from the ECAC who were, were expected to be closer to the top, and it just didn't happen. So, um, they're they're kind of a mystery, but I, I think we're kind of sleeping on them a bit. Yeah, I think they've had good tournaments in the last two years, so that's why I still feel like they're definitely capable of pulling up a big upset against Yale. But before we talk about the bracket, I sort of want to just dive into each conference and just talk about what happened and how each team got there. So we we'll start off with Newha. Obviously, LIU is in it for the first time in program history. This is the first time Newha gets an automatic bid to the national tournament as well. Um, to be honest with you, Lex, I didn't really watch too much of this conference this year, but Long Island pretty much was the best team in Newha. They finished in first place in the regular season standings, got home ice advantage in the playoffs, and ended up beating St. Anselm in the championship game. Uh, what was your thoughts on this year's uh, Newha season? Yeah, I think... Early on, it was kind of them and St. Anselm, and Long Island just kind of pulled away. This is this is their third season, but uh, fourth year since they didn't play in 2021. So they're they're inaugural class. They're they're all seniors now, and, and I think that's driving a lot of a lot of their success. Um, they they in not in addition to leading the new hot standings, like I track shots and a lot of other statistics, and they were they were the top team pretty much across the board in, in new hot. Um, they, they had the biggest shot differential, which is one of the things I look at most closely. Um, so, uh, not surprised that they pulled away. You know, once you get into a single elimination tournament, it's kind of anybody's game. So I thought it was, it was kind of 50-50 between them and St. A's. I mean, St. A's has kind of been the, the power and, and Long Island's the, the upstarts. So, um, it was good to, good to see them, uh, pull it off and their, their seniors will have a special year, regardless of what happens now. 
Yeah, I think I always I thought LIU was probably going to win it just because St. Anselm was had two really close uh, playoff games. Obviously, they almost lost to St. Michael's in the first round, and then uh, they had a close game against uh, Stonehill as well. So I really thought LIU was probably just the best team in the playoffs and definitely deserved to win that championship. Honestly, my biggest takeaway from Newhall was Stonehill. I didn't expect anything from this program, and the fact that they were as competitive as they were uh, under Tara Watchorn just shows um, the growth that that program's going to have in the next few years, and I really like some of their freshmen like Alexis Petford and Sidney Russell. Those two players really stood out to me, and I think that's a program that I'm interested to see how they sort of build off this season. Yeah, I think I think even just over the course of the season, they really improved a lot. Like when they started play, it was kind of, you know, you know, they're new and you didn't really know what you were going to get. And they, they played some close games against like Post and St. Michael's and then really started to find themselves and, and pull away uh, toward towards the end of the year. I think, you know, they were, you know, among those those top three teams, they they generated the fewest shots per game. And I think, you know, running kind of a press uh, shot suppression strategy is, is kind of a good like entry-level way to be good. It'll be interesting to see if they can open up the offense more uh, not now that they've got a season under their belts. Another thing I'm interested in, I haven't heard anyone talk about this, is obviously Brian DeRocher from BU retired and Tara Watchorn is an alumni from BU. I'm curious if she'll be considered to get that job. That's something I'm sort of looking into. I don't feel like it's going to happen because they just added two new players, but I'm just curious if that's if she's going to be looked at for that opening. Yeah, I uh, I, I don't follow kind of the, the coaches super closely. Um I, I focus more on, on the kind of the statistics and the, and the players. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't really have too much of an opinion on that. On that, I imagine if she was offered it, she'd probably take it, even though she just started at Stonehill. Um, you know, it's it's there, there's benefits to both, right? I mean, going in coaching her alma mater is is a huge honor, and I think something a lot of coaches really live for. But building up a new program is a, a unique challenge, and there's plenty of people who'd rather do that than and land with an established team. Now let's move on to the CHA, and very similar to Newha, Penn State was basically the best team in this conference. They won the regular season and obviously won the championship. This was interesting to me, though, because Penn State, even though they've been the best team in the CHA for the past few years, they haven't struggled to win the playoffs and ultimately get that automatic bid. This year they finally do it, even though it was a little bit close for some Penn State fans liking as Julie Goff got the OT winner off a of faceoff. Uh, what was your thoughts on this year's CHA season and uh, just how good Penn State was this season as well? I mean, they started about as good as you can, blowing out Wisconsin in their their opening <laughs> series. Uh, I think that was on the uh, – no, that was that was in, in Penn State. But, uh, yeah, they uh, – like you said, they've been up there for a while now, and it's kind of been the same story year to year. They, they've been a really good team at, at putting pucks in the net, a really good team at – controlling possession they just they haven't had the goaltending to kind of keep them afloat and you know they had uh, 0.917 team save percentage this year which is a little bit above the NCAA average it's 21st in NCAA so um, you know they finally got a little bit little bit of an uptick from their goaltending and uh, that was kind of the piece that they were missing. I also feel like Tessa Janicki was a huge part of it as well, just how dominant she was offensively along with Kiara Zanin to have two players so for teams to sort of have to strategize against. I also think made Penn State just a much better team this year as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I mean, especially Zanin, who was, who was great last season as well. 
I think in college hockey, it's, it's different from the pros. You know, sometimes you play your top line 30 minutes a night. Um, and you can really have one or two players that take over a game for you. So, uh, that's, you know, that's pretty much what happened, uh, with Penn State this year. And, uh, you know, Mercyhurst, they've always kind of been up there. They're always going to be a tough team to beat. They've won over a dozen, I think, CHA championships. So they're, <laughs> They're kind of who you know you got to go through to to win the conference. Yeah, exactly. And I also think an underrated part about this Penn State team was the veterans that they added in the transfer portal with L. Ryan McKay and Courtney Correa uh, from Boston University, and then McKay was from Colgate. I just think that veteran leadership really helped this team as well, especially in the bottom six. Yeah, I think also coming over from a different conference, uh, there's there's a noticeable difference in like how how conferences are officiated or how the schedules are in the ECAC you get two different opponents each week CHA you get the same opponent and it just brings a different I think different perspective a different way of preparing for for games and I think that helps too. So now let's go to Hockey East, the conference that I watch the most. And obviously this year is pretty much Northeastern versus everybody. Uh, Northeastern dominated. They have arguably the best line in college hockey with Maureen Murphy, Elena Mueller, and Cole Arar. They have arguably one of the best goalies in college hockey, too, with Gwyneth Phillips. Uh, this year, I was interested to see if any team would upset them since it is a single elimination format in Hockey East. And I think there are teams that are capable of beating Northeastern in, in the conference. But uh, unfortunately for those teams, Northeastern found a way to win uh, Hockey East for the sixth time in a row. What was your thoughts on this year's Northeastern teams compared to last and just uh, your thoughts on Hockey East in general? Yeah, I watch Hockey East is probably the conference that I watch second most often behind the ECAC. And uh, you know, I find, I mean, yeah, Northeastern was kind of at the top, so I find you know, how the middle teams shake out to be a little bit more interesting typically. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things with Northeastern is I feel like they've kind of gotten a reputation as a really strong offensive team, you know, going back to when they had Kendall Coyne and they were really kind of a run and gun team. And they've certainly, they're like, they're very good at scoring goals, but, you know, they're, they're, probably the best defensive team in the country, at least in terms of state percentage and how few opportunities they give. And I think that kind of gets glossed over a bit for their, for their offensive talent. And, you know, even beyond that top line, Katie Knoll had a, a bunch of big time goals for them this season. So uh, it's, you know, they're, they're, they're a tough team to play. One of the things I think that works against them is the hockey East officiating seems to be the most whistle happy. And I think, Sometimes they go to the NCAA tournament and they, they seem a little taken aback by, you know, not getting calls or the level of physicality. So I, I think, um, I think I, I'd like to see them win it. I'd like to see, <laughs> I'd like to see a hockey East team get on the board, uh, alongside the ECAC and WCHA. So. Yeah, I totally agree with you about the defensive side of that team because last year they lost Skylar Fontaine and Brooke Hobson, two really important defenders, and Lauren McInnes as well, who I thought flew under the radar a lot for Northeastern. And I think two players that really stepped up were Lily Jovich and uh, Abby Marone. Uh, that was sort of like, because you were still going to get uh, Megan Carter, the added mod, Poulin, LaBelle, and I thought those two players were going to be their top defenders, but I was sort of curious what depth they were going to have, and uh, Marone and Jovic really stepped up, in my opinion, and became added depth to that defense core, but also just made it harder, or made it easier for Gwen Phillips to make saves and sort of uh, zone breakouts as well. Yeah, I think uh, the defenders and the goaltender being in sync with one another is a huge part of of 
success defensively. I mean, I'm I'm a Clarkson fan and Clarkson alum, and you know I've seen them go through a, a number of elite goaltenders. And uh, like when when Cassidy Sove played a season for them, it was really rough at the start of the season. You know, her coming in and being so much different from Shea Tiley the season before. And, and, you know, hats off to, to Phillips and, and the defense for really getting on the same page early and, uh, you know, didn't, didn't miss a beat, right? Uh, you know, Franco mm-hmm. was, was the top goaltender last year and then Phillips just came right in and, and, uh, kind of reminds me of what, what happened with Wisconsin a few years ago as in Renee Debian, uh, you know, being the best goaltender in the country for, for years for them, yet failing to win an NCAA tournament and having Kristen Campbell come in the year after and do it. Mm-hmm. Um, fun, fun fact, I, I was, I was at the Frozen Four that year and I was, was in the crowd as sitting next to a woman. I could see she had a press pass and didn't know, didn't know her name at the championship game. And like, yeah, I really don't want to bother people. Like, especially mm-hmm. if there's somebody else, somebody that's well known. And I was just like, who is that? Who is that? And then as she was getting up to leave as, as the, the closing seconds of Wisconsin's uh, win was, were ticking off, I saw that it was Anne Renee DBN. I was like, oh. That's pretty cool. <laughs> I think um, the most interesting thing for Hockey East is what next year is going to be like because Northeastern is going to lose a lot of their top talent. And I think Gwena Phillips, I don't know if, how much eligibility she has left, but that's going to be interesting as well if Phillips leaves along with Mueller, Akoli Arad, and Marine Murphy. So I'm sort of curious if the change of the guard will happen in Hockey East next year because you have teams on the rise like UConn, Vermont, and I think BU and BC, even though they struggled this past year, still have a lot of talent to make a run in Hockey East. And obviously Providence as well. That's sort of what I'm interested to see is what the change of the guard will be like next year if Northeastern struggles a little bit. Yeah, those uh, those teams below Northeastern, I mean, they're getting big wins. It's just finding the consistency and not, you know, dropping a game to Maine or dropping a series to New Hampshire and things like that. It's I mean, it's it's tough because Hockey East does both. Like you have weekends where you play the same opponent twice and then you have weekends where you're playing two different opponents. And it's. It's one of the odder schedules, I think, in, in the country. So now let's look at the ECAC this year. Obviously, Colgate won it for the third straight year. But a lot of different teams that made the ECAC for, in the national tournament, they were Colgate, Clarkson, uh, Quinnipiac, and obviously Yale. Uh, in my opinion, I thought Yale was the best team in the ECAC throughout the regular season, but obviously they had that tough loss to Clarkson in the semifinals, and that ended up allowing Colgate to pretty much win that, win the playoffs and get the automatic bid. Uh, well, before we dive into each team, what was your just general thoughts on this year's ECAC season? Um, it was, I mean, it's funny because outside of Harvard dropping from first to eighth, the teams finished in the exact same order as last season, but it really didn't feel like that. Mm-hmm. You know, it, like Yale felt like took took a major jump and, and won their first ever uh, regular season title. Um, so it was uh, the ECAC, AC, uh, ECAC is always a really weird conference. You see more of the bottom teams, I think, getting upsets uh, over some of the top teams. There's there's the travel is unique in that you're traveling with a partner and you're playing two different schools in the same weekend. And, and, you know, some of those, some of those, those travel weekends are are really tough. Like going up to the North country where it's just incredibly cold and and having to play Clarkson and St. Lawrence are both almost always really good. Um, It's just, you just, you, you get these really weird weeks in the ECAC and sometimes you get, 
the wrong opponent at the wrong time or the wrong travel pair at the wrong time. And, and the, you know, the best team in the ECAC doesn't always win the ECAC. Um, so, and I, I think that's kind of what happened this year. I think, you know, Yale certainly had the resume. I mean, they only lost to Colgate Clarkson and had a draw against Cornell. Um, but I just never felt like they elevated themselves as for sure the top team. Mm-hmm. But, it would have been interesting to see if, if Colgate, who's playing very good right now, would have got gotten another win against them in the, the tournament championship or not. Yeah, no, I, I totally understand where you're coming from from the travel because I had the chance to interview Tage Thompson, and she played in the ECAC, and she said one of the things she doesn't miss about that conference is just how hard the travel was compared to Hockey East, where it's just pretty much short bus trips for most of the teams that you're playing against. So I I, I know from a player's perspective that they uh, the travel is much better in Hockey East versus the ECAC. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Clarkson and St. Lawrence are easy. They're 10 minutes apart. So, I mean, it's just going up there and is, is – yeah getting there is difficult. I mean, like Princeton and Quinnipiac, you know, they're quite a bit further apart and you got to play them back to back nights. Um, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's hard. And it's, it's, it's one of the things I, I'm always asking and comparing the ECAC to the WCHA is that, you know, what's tougher? Is it tougher to play, you know, top teams, you know, more occasionally, or is it tougher to play like a, a pretty talented middle, like all the time? And I don't, I don't know what the answer to that is. Um, I think they're they're probably both tough in different ways. So now we'll just talk about each team that made the tournament, just a quick synopsis of them. So obviously Clarkson, uh, they were sort of a bubble team throughout most of the year, but they ended up getting in. I think I was sort of interested to see if Cornell or Princeton might be able to get some wins towards the end of the year and sort of boost up their pairwise ranking. That ended up not happening. Uh, Clarkson, I think they're a really good team. They have solid defense and they have a solid goalie, and they have two really good forwards with Darcy Lappin. So just talk a little bit about uh, Clarkson and what you think uh, they can do in this tournament. Yeah, I mean, this is the easiest one for me. I, I went there as a class of 08. I, actually, my mm-hmm. freshman year was their first year in the ECAC, which is how I got introduced to hockey at all, let alone women's hockey. So, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I you know, try to view them really objectively. And early on in the year, I just did not think it was going to be it this year. I thought, I, th- I mean, Cornell went in and beat them 8-1 to one early in the season. And I thought it really was going to be Cornell uh, being that, that kind of final team and, you know, Clarkson, they just kept, kept showing up and kept getting the results and just, just kind of hung out in that ninth spot in the pairwise the whole year. I kind of, I kind of joke that they're, they're kind of like the cockroaches of the NCAA because like it, you know, it didn't seem like that great of a year, but here they are again. Like you just can't, just can't kill them, I guess. But, uh, yeah. yeah. No. I, I think you're spot on with, you know, they're a really solid team across the board. Uh, they had their, their top line, uh, Darcy Lappin, uh, Gab- uh, Gabrielle David, uh, which is not pronounced Gabrielle David, uh, according to the <laughs> pronunciation guide. And, um, and Tchaikovsky, uh, were, they, they were on fire to start the season. And about halfway through the year, Clarkson actually split them up. They, uh, Brooke McQuaig came back from injury. She slotted onto the top line uh, wing. And then uh, Darcy Lappin went down to the second line with Jenna Goodwin and, and uh, Senna Catterall. And even though that slowed the production of the top line, I think that was probably the move that really is the reason that Clarkson is here because it, it spread out the, the scoring and, and gave them, you know, more pressure beyond that top line. And, and I think, I think helped out some of those, those players, uh, you know, Senna Catterall was a transfer and, 
Uh, Jenna Goodwin's a, a sophomore, sophomore player, young player. So I, I think that's, you know, that was the key move of the season and, and it took away some of that like elite scoring. Um, but they're not going to make, they're not going to make many mistakes. They're going to play good defense. Um, you know, they're, they're going to have times where they look like they share the same brain passing the puck. Um, it, that's, I think, that game and the Quinnipiac game, I think, are going to be the most interesting first-round games. Yeah, no, the defense is what impresses me the most because I think Haley Wynn and Nicole Gosling are two of the most talented defenders in the ECAC, and you also have players like Stephanie Markowski as well. Uh, so that's sort of what stands out to me, and then you obviously have really good uh, offensive players that can put the puck behind the net, and then obviously Michelle Pashnik uh, does a really good job as a goalie. I think she's one of the best goalies in the ECAC. So I just think they're all around solid team, but they don't have like any names that will stick out, I guess, nationally when you look at them comparing them to other tournament teams. Yeah, they, I haven't checked this stat out in a while, but I, I did this, uh, I think it was 2017 about, you know, how many shots their defensive pairs are generating. And a lot of teams really lean heavily on a top pair. And Clarkson has never really done that. Like usually they have a second pair that's often contributing as much offense as a lot of teams top pairs. And then, you know, a fifth player or a third pair that's also really good. I mean, uh, you know, Sarah Swiderski, who's been a, a, a phenom uh, on a bunch of national teams, uh, came in as a freshman. And uh, I think it took her a little bit to find her footing, but I think she's she's probably been the best player or at least most improved player in the second half of the season. Now let's talk about uh, Quinnipiac because they had a really good start to the year, but then they sort of slowed down towards the end. Obviously, they had some injuries with Alexa Hoskin, Lexi Agia, and Kendall Cooper. Um, I still think they're a very talented team, and they're definitely going to give Penn State a good game. Uh, what was your thoughts on Quinnipiac this year? Yeah, I think I think early on I kind of thought they might be the best team in, in the conference. And, you know, it, it it's funny because – you know, it's been a solid, you know, five, six, seven years where they've done that, where they've been a really hot team at the start and and kind of tailed off in the end. And it's, you know, it's a new coaching staff now. It's completely new players from, you know, when they were competing for a number one ranking spot several years ago. Um, and, yeah, those players did miss time, but they were all they all played in the St. Lawrence series. And Quinnipiac did not look good in the St. Lawrence mm-hmm. series. And it certainly didn't look good against Colgate the week after. So, uh, I mean, I don't. I don't really know what to make of it. Quinnipiac, you know, the, with the previous coaching staff, what they really like to do is they just like to pressure you all the time. Just, just full, full court press the whole game. And it was a really, it was a really good strategy earlier in the year when, when opponents aren't as sharp or they're not as well conditioned. And I think that kind of explained a lot of why they would drop off then. But now I just, it's just kind of a mystery to me. Yeah, no, I, I was definitely curious about it as well because I, I honestly feel like it started with that Yale game and I think it was January where they lost. And then I feel like they really struggled against top ECAC teams. Like you mentioned, they struggled against St. Lawrence. Uh, they lost against uh, St. Lawrence and Clarkson the weekend prior before the playoffs as well. Um, and even against RPI, there was a game that they was sort of a close game. They only won that uh, by one goal. So I'm just curious to see if they can sort of spin it back around. And I feel like they can because I think uh, they have a really good defense core. Obviously, Logan Angers has played really well in net for them at times, and I think if it all comes together, Quinnipiac can definitely go on a run. Yeah, I mean, I think Princeton kind of broke them, scoring 11 goals. <laughs> yeah. That was, that was kind, of, kind of it. And, uh, man, I watched that game, and, like, yeah, the first couple goals were, were a little weird, but then Princeton was just on fire, and they got away from them. 
But uh, yeah, I, I mean, you know, first half of the season, Quinnipiac, I'd probably give them like 70, 75% odds to win this game right now. I, I think Penn State is a slight favorite just from my perspective. So now let's move on to Yale. They were the, in my opinion, they were the best team in the regular season for the ECAC. They're sort of like Clarkson where they don't have a lot of players that stick out to you nationally like uh, Colgate does, but they still just have a really solid team. I think what's impressed me the most was Pia Dukaric's goaltending. Uh, she's really stood in her head and she's played very well. We also have really solid players like El Harchi, Emma Seitz, and uh, Jordan Ray, who's been the best rookie in the ECAC, in my opinion, really stand out to me and really kind of drive this uh, Yale bus. And I've just been so surprised how well they've been in the last two years because I really did not expect this at all. Yeah, I mean, they uh, they they kind of remind me of Colgate and Princeton, who for a long time in the ECAC, like, they were never terrible but they, they always seem to wind up in like the fourth to eighth range. And, you know, Colgate a few years ago, like it really was just one class. And then, then all of a sudden they were contending for, you know, national championships and they, they continued to carry that. And I think, yeah, Yale, Yale kind of did the same thing. I mean, Mark Bolding, I think this is his second year. Um, you know, what, what he's done, I think has, has worked really well in terms of, of having them very well organized, I think very disciplined they they don't blow you away a lot of times in terms of possession or even in scoring, but they execute really well. Like that, they like if they if you give them a sliver of a chance, they're going to take it and, and convert on it. And then let's move on to Colgate. They obviously won the ECAC playoffs. In my opinion, uh, they definitely have a good shot to win the national championship this year with top players like uh, Danielle Sardakny. Uh, just talk a little bit about Colgate and what you've seen from them this year. A lot of penalties. <laughs> there, yeah. They, I mean, they they were tops both in in the number of power play opportunities they had. They were top ten, and I think they were like third in in the number of power play opportunities they gave away. They're they're a very physical team, uh, and can sometimes get a little carried away with that. And uh, you know, they they have a great penalty kill, so a lot of times it doesn't bite them. But you know, playing constantly at shorthanded starts to starts to affect your five on five play, especially if you're if your top line is also your your top penalty killing line, so I think that's uh, they're 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 a physical team. They're going to outwork you. They've got a lot of talent to to put in the goals. It's it's can they kind of rein in some of their worst impulses? Yeah, I, I really like a lot of players on this team. Obviously, Sardakny is the one that stands out to most people, but Kalti Katova, I always mispronounce her name, but she's really good for them as well. I like their goaltending with uh, Kaylee Osborne and Hannah Murphy, uh, and obviously players like Sydney Bard, Allison Simpson, uh, and Cassidy Bettenau, who I think has been a good transfer for them, have really stood out to me uh, this year for Colgate. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, Sardakny is, is their captain. I think she might be if not the best captain in the ECAC, maybe the most influential, you know, watching them against Clarkson, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of times where the teams got into it with one another and she was, she was kind of the peacemaker and, and was able to kind of quiet things down. And I think that's it's a really good skill to have for your captain. I, I think she was the, the top choice. And I think as a captain, she's probably had the most impact on the team's success. 
So now let's move on to the WCHA, and obviously the big four, as I call them, uh, made it into the tournament with Ohio State, Minnesota, Minnesota Duluth, and Wisconsin. St. Cloud State, though, did have a good run this year. They're probably the most surprising team um, in the country this year, uh, sort of giving Duluth a good series, but ultimately Duluth won that one. Uh, what was your thoughts on the WCHA this year? Obviously, Minnesota ended up winning it, but Ohio State has been consensusly the best uh, team in college hockey this year, and they got the number one overall seed. Um, not to be too mean, but kind of boring. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's the, those top four teams, you know, pretty much were locked into their spots since since January. It's been something like eight years since one of those bottom four teams was in the top four. I think Bemidji State was third, like in uh, – uh, 15, 16, if I remember right. Um, you know, outside of that, I, I watch them the least. I, I don't, uh, don't feel like shelling out for a Big Ten network or BTN plus. Um, so I really only watch them when they come east. Uh, it was, uh, you know, kind of weird how the top four shook out because, you know, I think Minnesota Duluth won the season series against Wisconsin. Wisconsin, I believe, won the season series against Minnesota. Minnesota won the season series against Ohio State, all teams above them. And so it's, 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 it's kind of hard to really figure out how they stack up. You know, Ohio State was the best looking team in the nation all season long, but Minnesota was three, one and one against them. So, you know, kind of, what do you, what do you make of that? And that's exactly kind of true as you go down, down through each of the four teams. Yeah, Minnesota Duluth was sort of disappointing to me because they made all that, they made that big run to the championship game last year and I was sort of curious if they were going to build off that, but they had, there were points in the regular season where I thought they really struggled and they, there was a chance where I thought St. Cloud State might have uh, found a way to get above them and be one of those four teams this year. That obviously ended up not happening, but I still think they have a lot of veterans on that team and a lot of talented players and can definitely go on a run like they did last year. And then Ohio State returning uh, Emma Malte coming back from her Olympic year, uh, adding McKenna Webster to that mix as well. And with a really good goalie in, in Amanda Teeley, I think that's why they're one of the best teams. And then Minnesota, sort of a similar story. They're returning wild players from the Olympics uh, with like great some like um, and then Minnesota or Wisconsin game, Jesse Confer, they just have so many talented players on each of these teams. And I just feel like if it all comes together, I think they can definitely uh, be going around and definitely um, it'll be interesting to see if any of these teams could match up together, I guess, in the tournament. Yeah. I mean, Duluth has saw Elizabeth Shaguer, uh graduate last season, was a player I know very well after watching her for four years at Clarkson. And and it's not just the level of talent and the, the caliber of play that she brings, but she has just a, a really unique style and a really unique ability to kind of play with whoever she's around and, and like play well with them. And I think that's, that's doubly hard to recover from. I'm, I'm kind of surprised actually that they re- recovered so well from it. Um, she's just, she's just an incredible player and just, just a very unique player. There's really no, if you watch her play hockey, there's nobody that plays hockey like her. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And that one of the best OT winners of all time, uh, getting a breakaway in a national championship game, the Barry, I think that's, I don't know how you top that as in a college hockey career. Yeah, you can, uh, you can see me jumping up and down in that highlight. <laughs> I was, I was in Minneapolis that year and yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's just, okay. Just, uh, just kind of how she is. It's like, like she's an excellent stick handler, but she's like she's not the type that you know is moving the puck super fast. She just knows exactly where to put it at all times, and, and the way she skates sometimes looks like she's playing on like sneakers. The way she can just kind of stop and 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 she kind of jukes more like a more like a football player sometimes than a hockey player. 
Now, I do want to highlight Minnesota because I think they've been probably the best offensive team in the country. Uh, they just have so much depth. Obviously, you have Taylor Heisey, who's a Patty Kaz top 10 finalist. You have Grace Dunwinkle coming back. But you also have other good players like Abby Murphy and uh, Madeline Wethington as well. I'm just curious about what's your, been your thoughts on Minnesota and you think if they – because I know you think that you're surprised they didn't get as many first-place votes as Ohio State did. Yeah, I mean, they won the season series against Ohio State. Uh, I, I mean, I, I just have a hard time putting Ohio State above them <laughs> because of that. And, yeah, I mean, I, in previewing the championship match and looking at their season series, you know, what I noticed is that uh, Minnesota's top line and Ohio State's top line pretty much canceled each other out. And uh, up until the, the last game, which Ohio State won 5-1, to one, Minnesota's secondary lines were doubling up Ohio State's in terms of scoring. And, and yeah, that goes back to that, that depth is, and that, that's really where they, where they won the battles against Ohio State. So it's, I think that's going to be the question when they play some of these deeper teams is that can those second line, that second line and below, like can they keep beating who's across the ice from them? Yeah, I think Ohio State has the goaltending advantage, though, over Minnesota. So that's sort of my, like, thing is, like, how does that match up? Does the best offense uh, beat uh, the better goaltender, or is the better goaltender steal Ohio State a game versus the better offense? That's sort of where I'm interested to see how that dynamic works. Yeah, I'm just, yeah, if you see me, I have three monitors. So if you see me looking around and looking <laughs> at, the, at the stats, I have kind of arrayed across the monitors. Um, yeah, I mean... I think actually Minnesota's team save percentage was a little bit higher than uh, Ohio State's o- over the course of the season. I mean, there's, you know, there's a lot more complexity to that and the type of shots mm-hmm. and the number of shots you're seeing. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I mean, I, I think like I, I'm a skater when I play hockey. I, you know, I, I'm one of the few people that really doesn't get crazy about goaltenders. So I'm always mm-hmm. going to kind of, kind of minimize that. And I think, I think a good offense, against just the goaltender wins that battle, but, you know, the defense has a lot to say about that. And, and, and I, I tend to give, give more weight to, to what the skaters are doing. Yeah. I'm a goaltender guy, even though I never played the position, I always admired the position. Like my favorite player growing up was Tuka Rass. So it's, I, I always feel like, like in that 2011 uh, Bruins Stanley Cup run, I don't want to cross sports or just leagues, but Tim Thomas was a huge reason why they won it because he would steal them games. So maybe that just is engraved in my mind. Like a goalie can definitely steal a game, especially in a single elimination tournament like this one. Yeah. Yeah. I think that like the one thing I, I will say is that, you know, when it comes down to the kind of the mental battle, a goaltender can really, really pull ahead in that making big saves early or, or making you know, a couple ridiculous saves. I think, you know, that starts to get in a, a shooter's head a bit and, and, and then, you, you know, you're gripping the stick too tight. You start aiming instead of shooting and, and it, it just kind of goes downhill. Now let's look at the bracket and just make some predictions. So the first one, obviously the first game is Wisconsin LIU. Uh, I love LIU, but I'm pretty sure Wisconsin should win this game pretty easily. Um, I think someone said they had a 99% chance of uh, losing this game or something like that. So yeah. uh, I, 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 Wisconsin, just they have the talent and depth over LIU. And LIU also played a less harder schedule than Wisconsin. And when LIU played Northeastern, they did not really look that great. So that's why I have Wisconsin in this game. But I think this is a good building block for LIU to grow their program. And hopefully these players can learn from this game. And I think uh, if they hopefully they can take something away from this game that help, will help their development um, in the future. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, I was I was the one that I gave Wisconsin a chance <laughs> yeah. of winning, and it was the only reason it wasn't higher is because I didn't want to do decimals. I mean, you know, LIU had a great season, and you know they didn't play each other, but they both played Penn State, Minnesota State, and uh, Duluth, and in games against those teams, Wisconsin was uh, plus thirteen shot differential per game, and uh, LIU was minus thirty-seven. So. <laughs> The gap's too big. I mean, you know, if LIU had had like a hot goaltender, I mean, like Chris Mudrag for uh, St. Michael's, you know, I might might give them a chance, and, and that's really where they have their chance is if 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 their defense and their goaltender can can hold Wisconsin off the board, or, or if they can even get the first goal and, and just keep it a game as long as possible. That's that's kind of their only chance, but it's really hard to see them winning. Well, Tindra Holm did win goaltender of the year in Newha, so if there's any goalie knew how to do it, it could be her. Uh, yeah. But it will be interesting. That would be probably the biggest upset of NCAA history if if they actually pull that one off. Yeah, it would, uh, certainly the biggest tournament upset uh, ever. Yeah. Now let's move on to Minnesota Duluth versus Clarkson. I have Duluth winning this game, uh, but I know you're a Clarkson guy, so do you think they have a chance in this one? Uh, yeah, they definitely have a chance. I mean, I gave... I think I, when I said Duluth was kind of like a 60% favorite, like I kind of felt 60-40 favorite. Um, again, if you look at their common opponents, they were both undefeated against Bemidji State, Harvard, and St. Lawrence, the three teams they both played. Uh, Duluth played just a bit better against those teams, and that's that's kind of the, the, the story of this series, whether you look at that or whether you just look at how they're ranked nationally, is UMD is just a bit better in every category, so... Mm-hmm. Clarkson's definitely got a chance, you know, it's, you know, they're, they're right at the same level and you know, they're kind of similar teams in that they, they both, you know, play really good defense and sometimes have trouble scoring or sometimes, you know, win games two to one or, or one to nothing that, that look a little weird. So, you know, this could be one where it's one to one heading into the third and, and it's just going to be who gets the next goal. Yeah, I think Duluth's experience also is a factor because they've been on that big tournament run just last year where Clarkson, a lot of their players are pretty new to this. So I think that I know experience is big for me because I feel like teams experience, uh, that's just like a sort of a non-statistical factor to look into sometimes as well. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, regardless of, of how collected you are, you know, the, the moment always gets to you a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, and being there before, you know, you helps not just weather it, but, but, you know, helping the, yeah, kind of, my, my train of thought is completely off the tracks. <laughs> yeah, I think, I, I think it helps not just from like an individual perspective, but, but, you know, keeping the, the team collectively, you know, in the right mindset and, and on the right track. Yeah, and obviously Elizabeth Trigger, I don't know who she's going to root for in this game. That'll be pretty interesting if uh, she makes an appearance or not. <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, I mean, she's been bouncing back and forth between Team Canada and the Boston Pride. So, uh, uh, yeah, if this was in Boston, it'd probably be a lot easier for her to get yeah. to. The fact that it's in, Duluth, or it's in uh, Minneapolis is, is a bit tougher. 
Now, probably the best game of the opening round is Quinnipiac-Penn State. I know you have Penn State as a slight favorite. I also have Penn State winning this game. Uh, that's sort of my big upset uh, in the opening round. I just think uh, the talent that they have up front, they have good goaltending this year with Josie Bathoon, and I really like their defenders as well. I think Mallory Uline and Lindy Lobdell uh, don't get enough credit that they deserve uh, because they block a lot of shots, but they're also good puck line movers, uh, especially on the blue line. And I feel like they match up very well to Quinnipiac, and I ultimately think they'll they can find a way to win this game. Yeah, I, yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean, I think you know Penn State. I think they can they can really take it to a team uh, putting shots on goal. Uh, you know, I think the, the the final score in their opening game against Wisconsin is what got everybody's attention. But if you look beneath that. You know, Wisconsin only outshot them 28-24. I don't remember the last time Wisconsin only outshot a CHA team by four. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's probably 20 shots the last time they played somebody from the CHA. Um, so I, I think that kind of gets a little bit lost a bit with Penn State, you know, behind, you know, their their historic season and, and, and that upset. And, and you know, that's – especially with the way Quinnipiac's been playing lately, I, I feel like Penn State can really have – points in this game where they're just peppering the net. Exactly. And obviously we'll make the predictions for the frozen four based on our predictions we have now. And we obviously have the same one. So that's pretty good so far. Uh, Yale North Northeastern is the only matchup we have set for the, uh, I guess, elite eight, as I will call it. Um, I have Northeastern winning this game. I just feel like it's their year. You know, they have all those returning players. I think um, I'm just, I think they can pull off this upset and, I don't even think it would be an upset because I think Northeastern is very similar to Yale, but this is probably the most intriguing game to me um, out of all the potential quarterfinal series that we might get. Yeah, I yeah I, I agree with that. I, I think of the the possibilities heading into the final weekend for Northeastern to play, the, the other two were Colgate and Minnesota. I think this was the best matchup for them. Um, I, I think Northeastern just has a, a big possession advantage. I think you know they're kind of. They line up well against Yale. I feel like they're just kind of a little bit better across the board against against Yale, where they might have a little bit of trouble again if they had played Colgate or Minnesota. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I think you know Northeastern's been here before, and they're they're missing the hardware, and this is going to be the last year for a lot of their players. So they're they're, they're going to lay it all out. And you know, even though they won the ECAC, Yale just has not really impressed me this season. Like. You know, I just yeah, I look a lot, you know, behind the final score of why a team won or you know what's what's driving their success, and you'll just never like they never impressed me, but they kept winning, and then eventually you're just like yeah, like all right, I guess I gotta kind of like <laughs> roll with that. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you only beat Harvard two to one, but you know you've only lost. Uh, they did ball them out though. I think the final game of the regular yeah, season. Yeah, yeah, they did. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, they did get a, a ten to one, you know, final game of the regular season win, and then spotted Harvard the first two goals of their play, their playoff series. So it's kind of like you know, they they just keep winning. That's and and I like to look at why and not not overreact to, to wins and losses, but eventually you just gotta kind of go with it. So now, obviously, in this bracket, we would have Ohio State playing Penn State. I love Penn State, but I think Ohio State will get the job done. Home ice advantage, and obviously they have that tournament pedigree. Um, so I, if this matchup were to happen, I, do you have to give Penn State any chance of pulling up the upset? Yeah, I mean, I, I give them a slight chance. Like, I mean, I'd probably say I'd probably still be 
90 to 95% in favor of Ohio State. But uh, if I remember right, I think Penn State beat them last season. I might be remembering that wrong, but. Uh, I thought they beat Duluth. I don't know if they beat might Ohio be, State. might be right on that, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I give them a chance. You know, the Penn State's got got somebody on the Petty Cas finalist list too. You know, they're they're here for a reason. So, and and you know, Iowa State's probably gonna outshoot them you know, forty five to twenty, but you can win with twenty shots and good goaltending. Mm-hmm, exactly. So, um, we'll be interested to see my pros and four prediction. I would say after these next two potential matchups, obviously Colgate would play Wisconsin. This is probably the best uh, potential quarterfinal matchup if this happens. I have Colgate, though, winning this one. I just feel like Wisconsin has struggled at times, and Colgate has been more consistent. Um, I also think with the veteran leadership that Colgate has, I feel like they could get the job done at home because they were in that position uh, last year, and it didn't work out for them against Yale. I feel like that's definitely going to be in the back of their minds if they play Wisconsin on Saturday. Yeah, uh, and I think Colgate's 1-0 and against Wisconsin in the NCAA tournament. I mean, it was uh... – five years ago. So I don't think there's still, there's any players left over from that aside from the coaching staffs. But uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, Wisconsin is they're They're always very good. You know, they, they, you know what they're going to do. They're going to try and have the puck all the time. They're going to try and just bury you in shots. Um, but I don't think they're as good at facing adversity. I think, you know, when they don't score first, they're a 500 team. They, you know, they're they're an average team. I think more than other teams, they they really struggle when things aren't going their way or when they get behind. Um, so I I think, yeah, this leans towards Colgate. I think that that top line is is going to come out hot. I think they're probably going to get on the board early, and I don't really see Wisconsin recovering from it. And then, obviously, Minnesota played Minnesota Duluth, same as last year at Ritter Arena. Obviously, Duluth pulled up that upset and made it to the Frozen Four, so that's going to be the back of Minnesota's heads. But I think just Minnesota this year has so much depth, and I think with the players returning from the Olympics, like Abby Murphy and Grayson Winkle, give them the edge over the Bulldogs in this potential matchup. I got uh, Minnesota in this one. Uh, do you think Duluth has a chance to pull up the upset again? Yeah, I mean, I'd still go with Minnesota. I think, yeah, I think Duluth that definitely has a chance. I mean, that, uh, that, uh, you know, there's not much of a home field advantage there in, in Minneapolis uh, for Minnesota. And I think, you know, once you get into the tournament and you have more media timeouts, you know, you, you, your depth starts to, you have a team that can overplay their top line a little bit more. And I think Minnesota Duluth can probably keep up with Minnesota a little bit more than people think. Um, I think it'll be close. I still think Minnesota's, you know, pretty, pretty strong favorite. Now in our frozen four, we have Northeastern, Colgate, Minnesota, and Ohio state. That Colgate Minnesota game would be fantastic if that happened. So I'm sort of hoping rooting for that as a non-biased neutral fan. Uh, who do you have winning the national championship this year? In my opinion, I think it's going to be Ohio State wins back to back. I just think they've been the best team in the country. And come tournament time, Nadine Mazzarell always has her team ready to get the job done. And I just think, uh, I just, I, I don't see how they lose this year. It'll be interesting to see if they can, but I think they'll have a chance. I think Minnesota's a chance to upset them. I think Northeastern will give them a good game as well, but I just feel like Ohio State has the, what has it, has the pedigree to do it again this year. Yeah, I yeah, this is a tough one. I mean, if I was going just solely on the la- like the the semifinals and finals of the conference tournaments, I'd probably go Colgate because they just looked incredible. Mm-hmm. They they just 
annihilated Quinnipiac. I, I mean, I watched the Clarkson game, and I think in the first period, I was like, they don't even look like they're playing the same game. And, like, it's like Clarkson's not even really playing bad. Colgate is just playing so well right now. Yeah. Um, so, it, you know, if that's the Colgate team that shows up, I'd probably take Colgate uh, to win the tournament. It just just feels like they're playing the best right now. Um, after them, yeah, I'd probably go with Ohio, Ohio State. You know, even even though they've lost the season series to Minnesota, um, I think just overall they're 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 the best team. Uh, you know, the the homer pick in me would be Northeastern probably because I just want to yeah. see. I have friends that are big Northeastern fans. I just would like to see them uh, win a national championship. So now let's go over some end of the year awards. Uh, first one is who do you got winning the Patty Cass this year? I think it's going to be Danielle Sardacne. I think it's going to be really a toss up between here and Mueller, but I feel like Sardacne's played tougher teams than Mueller has. So that's why I lean towards more uh, Sardacne in this one. But who do you have? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's hard because the, the committee tends to really look at, at production and points and, and things like that. I think Sardacne is, is ahead of Mueller in that regard as well. Um, you know, for me, just I, I tend to judge these awards not on who's the best player, but on who's the most essential player to their team. Like, you know, if, if the team lost this player, like who would be the worst off? And I think that's probably Colgate with Sardacne. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and she would probably be my vote. So next award is who do you have winning rookie of the year if you had a pick? Whew, that's a tough one because I don't uh... – I, I stay really focused on the ECAC, and I, I don't. You can be biased. It's, I don't care. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it, it's just that I, I don't. I don't really look at their classes a whole lot either. Like I just kind mm-hmm. of look at their production, and, and so like if you ask me to name freshmen off of Clarkson, I don't know if I could, if I could mm-hmm. name one. Um, I think uh, is uh, Dukerich for Yale a freshman? I don't think she is. No. Yeah, I yeah, I I'd have to pass on that. I just don't I just don't yeah. know classes well enough to to say. Yeah, no, I understand. I think for me, I think a lot of people would say Tessa Janicki from Penn State, but I'm gonna go with a different pick. I'm gonna say Brooke Disher from Boston University. Uh, I think she's been a very good two-way defender for BU. Uh, currently, she had 16 points in 34 games, but defensively, she does a lot of good stuff as well. I really like her game a lot, and I think she's going to grow a lot uh, with that BU program, even with the coaching change. And, yeah, I actually did a good job with Team Can in the U18 World Championship. She really stood out to me, and I think she's been, in my opinion, the best rookie uh, this year, even though there's cases to be made for so many different players. Yeah, I mean, I play defense when I play in line hockey. I'm always partial to defenders, I think. I think they don't get enough credit, and and part of that is because it's really hard to quantify their impact without just watching hours and hours of, of games of them. I I think uh, I know this is a not a popular opinion, but I think a, a elite two way defender is more important than an elite center. Mm-hmm. Um, I think certainly more more rare to have a a defender who's just excellent at both the offensive and defensive parts of the game. So I'd be thrilled to see <laughs> any any general award go to a defender because it just doesn't happen enough, I don't think. Goalie of the year. In my opinion, it's Gwyneth Phillips. She's just been a stud this year. Who do you have? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, it's hard to go against the numbers with Phillips. Uh, I mean, Dugarich for Yale has been really impressive as well. I, I think uh, – She's had a little bit tougher schedule, um, especially with the ECAC travel. Um, you know, I I think for me it's probably 
a two-player race between those two. Although I have been really impressed with uh, Levy with Boston College, um, especially since Boston College is not always the best possession team. They they can give up a lot of shots sometimes. So I think I don't think she's got enough credit either this year. Coach of the year, in my opinion, I sort of mentioned it at the beginning, but Tara Watchorn, what she's done with Stonehill is incredible. And if she stays with that program, I feel like they're just going to excel. Um, who do you have as the coach of the year this year? Yeah, I mean, that, yeah, that's that's a tough one. I, there's probably five or six great choices. I mean, uh, Mark Bolding again at, at Yale is another good choice. Mozarell is probably always going to get mentioned there. Um, you know, I like uh, for this award, I, I, I like to consider, you know, which coaches kind of have the toughest job. And so I kind of dig down at teams like that, that you know, have not had very good years, but or have had their you know, it's their best years in program history. So I'd go down to, to coaching staffs of Post and, and St. Michael's. Uh, you know, St. Michael's uh, beat St. Anselm for the first time. That that playoff win was the first ever win against them. Post uh, won their first game against the team other than St. Michael's this year against Franklin Pierce. So, um, again, I don't know. I don't know a ton of coaching names all that well. So yeah, you know, struggle to, to name them off the top of my head. But, uh, yeah, I like – when you consider where Post was as a program when they started, I mean, they were, they had one night where they only had like nine skaters, I think. And now they've got a full roster. They're starting to win some games in their conference. Um, you know, they made Stonehill sweat in the, the second game of their playoff series. So like I, I give a ton of credit to just coming into a not ideal situation and continuing to make progress. And then the last award, most underrated player of the year. I couldn't decide between uh, one, so I picked two players. I have Dara Gregg uh, from Colgate. She had 37 points in 38 games and didn't even make an ECAC all first, second, or third team, which I thought was a bit surprising. And I know her production was a little bit down compared to last year, but she's still a top, I think, six player in uh, points for Colgate this year. Uh, but I think she's her name sort of gets lost with all the other players. And then Peyton Levis from Ohio State. Uh, she had 38 points this year. She only made the WCHA all third team, but I just think she's another player that sort of gets lost in the mix uh, with Ohio State's top forward. So those two players I feel like are the most underrated players this year based on the offensive production that they had and the recognition that they have gotten. Yeah, I mean, I, these are both going to be homer picks, but I think uh, Kate Riley for Quinnipiac, and maybe this is, is just against Clarkson, but like every time I watch her play, it's just like, like, man, she just kills us. Like, and, and she's, you know, she's, she's a, a good player just in terms of points and production. She's, I don't think one of the top players, but you know, she's, she's one of the more impactful players. And I, you know, I think, uh, Steph Markowski for Clarkson as well. Like, you know, I think Nicole Gosling and Haley Wynn and Sarah Swiderski are kind of the big names, uh, on Clarkson. Um, but, uh, you know, Markowski, she she had a hat trick uh, a few weeks ago. She had uh, uh, one of the game winners late in the season, um, and she's she's a really she's she's a really good defender and, and does does things that you don't get by looking at the stats column. Just just her positioning, you know, her her intelligence, the the passing choices that she makes, uh, shooting choices that she makes. Um, I think she does. She does a lot more than than comes across on the stat sheet. 
Well, Alexa, thank you so much uh, for coming on the podcast today. I really appreciate your time. It means so much uh, to myself. Uh, looking forward to seeing what unfolds in this tournament. Hopefully some of my predictions are right. Last year I had Minnesota winning, and they lost their first game. So we'll see what happens uh, this season. But thank you so much for your time. It means a lot. Yeah, yeah, thanks for having me. It's, it's fun. I was like uh, coming on and getting to talk about hockey. Hopefully it looks like uh, you're a pretty big UConn fan. So, yeah, <laughs> you know, I thought like, yeah, I've always uh, I've always felt they should be really good at hockey. I mean, like it's UConn, like like it seems like they should be good at hockey, right? Like, They're getting better. <laughs> I, they lost a huge class uh, last year, uh, so they had a lot of newer players. But I feel like the Chris McKenzie's done a great job with that program. They just built a new hockey rink uh, a couple months ago, and I feel like that's going to get better recruits. And I'm interested to see how they sort of uh, b- bounce back uh, next year, especially like like I mentioned, Northeastern's losing a lot of top players, and North- UConn's been right there the past couple of years. They just lost the hockey's championship game two yeah. years ago so I'm interested to see how they uh how they uh how they sort of bounce back this year I really like their team though they have Tia Chan and Megan Warner who I think are the best goalie tandem in in the nation and then obviously you got top offensive players like Jada Habish and uh, Corinne Tarmala as well so and then Cameron Wong if she comes back I just think that team's going to be really solid for next year yeah yeah I have a I have a half of a husky laying on the floor behind <laughs> me and I, I like Northeastern's husky logo their best but I think Yukon's captures the essence of the Siberian Husky with the yeah. <laughs> open mouth, tongue out the best. So, yeah. Well, thanks again for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Bye.